You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. We, we have taken a little bit of a one Sunday break from our Win the Day series that we've been doing. And I'm telling you right now, this sermon is going to be unapologetic, patriotic, and American, all right? And, and, and it was funny because when Cliff sent that to me on Friday, I was actually studying and going over the message, you know? And, and, and I was all into this. And, and I think we live in a culture and in our day and age, I don't know if you feel this way, but um, it's almost like people that are walking around America are being told that we should be ashamed that we're American. You know, obviously, America has its flaws, right? But there's no other place in the world I'd want to live than here, right? I mean, we're told all the time America's a racist country. Our prosperity was built on the back of slaves. Or that America is a war-mongering nation. We abuse the Native Americans, we're involved in foreign conflicts, and that we should have stayed away. We hear all the time America is re- greedy and materialistic. Uh, they say America is the land of the 1% getting richer and the poor getting poorer and poor and the middle class is being shrinking. They suggest that we need to replace capitalism uh, with socialism. I mean, that's, that's what they're saying about our country right now. And I'm be honest with you, I'm tired of people saying our country's a bad place to live. <laughs> and if you don't like it, there's multiple other countries. You know, and, and, and I'm just saying, and I get it, but you know what Margaret Thatcher said about socialism, if you think that's the way to go? The problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. <laughs> that's the problem with socialism. And I'm not here to be political today, and I'm not here to talk ideologies, but I'm here to talk about what makes this land so great and why God has a plan and a purpose for this land. And I believe that's just true of every nation on earth that God wants to use and he wants to bless. But for 245 years, we should not be ashamed of who we are. And, 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 I'm, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, offending you. And if this is not the message you were hoping to hear on the July, 4th of July, it's no different than going to a church service on Mother's Day. And what do you expect to hear? How, how, how good dads are? <laughs> you know, or, or going to church on Father's Day and you're going to hear, well, here's how good moms are. No, this is, we get one of these rare occasions where we celebrate our nation on the day that we get to celebrate Jesus. And I don't think if, if, if this, uh, if you're with me on this this morning, I don't think that we should be ashamed. You know, some people say, well, we don't want to sing all the uh, patriotic hymns and all those songs because we might be worshiping our country more than God. Listen, we worship God and country. It's okay. You can do both, and you can have that way. Now, I know some Christian people are uncomfortable, like I said, with singing patriotic songs in church services because, again, they think our attention's going towards our country. But again, remember what James 1.12 says. And if you're looking for the sermon outline, it's on the QR code if you want to follow along on the sermon outline. James 1.12 says this, that every good and perfect gift comes from where? God. And God gives a good gift, our nation, and we should be thankful for it. I didn't say America was perfect, but I do believe America at its core is inherently good. Uh, The story goes 
of a little boy that fell into the ocean from a pier. And when he fell into the ocean, they had been fishing, and there were sharks all around this pier, right? Sharks everywhere. And this one man jumps in to save the boy's life. And the mother embraced her little boy and then finally came over to the man who saved him. He said, mister, he was wearing a hat. (laughs) She missed the fact that her son just got saved from sharks, and she was worried about the hat. Psalm 33, verse 12 says it this way. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord, and the people are chosen for the inheritance. It's not just the promises to Israel. It was promised to any nation whose honors the Lord. And when the Lord is the, is the king of their nation, God will bless that nation. The, there's a right reaction to the song, God bless America, the land that I love. Now, Are there problems in our country? Yes. But I think there's problems, if we're honest, in marriages in America too, right? And if we're a little bit honest, there's probably some problems and issues with our children. And there's probably some problems and issues with our jobs. And there's probably some problems and issues with our friends. But I will tell you one thing. If you focus on the 10 to 20% that's wrong in your marriage or wrong in your relationships with your friends and completely ignore the 80 to 90% that is solid, then all you're going to do is sit around and whine and complain and get on social media and complain about each other. Wow, does that sound like someplace you're living in right now? Because that's what we're doing, friends. That's why we have such an issue. We're not celebrating the 80 to 90% that's good. We're just focusing on the 10 to 20% that are issues. And I promise you, if you do that in a marriage long enough, your marriage will not survive. And I'm telling you, if you do that long enough as a country your country won't survive. And see, this is what God has to say. I I want you to understand why I love America. I want you to know that there's biblical reasons to love America. I want you to know that I'm glad that our senior minister, our senior pastor, one of our elders of our church who oversees our campuses serves our military. He just came back from, uh, he had a tough assignment this time. Real tough assignment. You know where Dave was at? Hawaii. Uh, yeah. He called me and said, oh, it's so tough. I said, shut up, Dave. Uh, just shut up right now. Not another word coming out of your mouth. I don't want to hear how rough it is. Well, you wouldn't believe what he had to I said, I don't want to hear it. All right? But this was probably one of his better assignments. A little known fact about Dave, when he serves as a chaplain in, in, our, in our military, he went over to uh, the desert during the conflicts. <laughs> And he was gone for 18 months, and the church grew without Dave. That's what I think is, you know, and we always just kind of bring that up to him. I was like, Dave, is it about time for you to go on a tour or something like that? You know, so just try to keep him humble. But I am so glad that I serve along with and, and serve with a brother in Christ who has given many years, over 20 years to our country in service. I, I'm, I'm grateful for all the servicemen and women who, who, who serve right now our great nation. I'm grateful for the ones who did it in the past. I'm grateful for the ones who gave their life. Because you know what? Yeah, there, there was problems going on when these people were serving. There was problems during the Revolutionary War. There was problems during the Civil War. There was problems during World War I, World War II, and I brought up all the wars during communion time. But there was issues going on, but there was still a core of who we are as people. You can even have an issue with your neighbor. And still be grateful that you live in a country 
where that person is still your neighbor and they have a freedom to be the way that they are just as you have a freedom to be the way you are. First of all, I'm going to give you the reasons why I love America. I love America because of its abundant resources. On November 19th and 16 and 20, the pilgrims arrived on the Mayflower to the New World and they scanned the shoreline just to the west of them. And one observer wrote down, it's a goodly land wooded to the brink to the sea. They couldn't, give her, couldn't get over the number of trees that were here. Think about it. Even in America has so much timber that we have built frames and erected telephone poles, laid railroad ties all across this land in less than 300 years. The homes that you live in, and now that the lumber, you know, the other day I got a splinter. I took it out and I took it and sold it. I got $200 for my splinter. You know, just expensive as limber as timber is right now. We live in a land that has built the entire America out of the trees, and we still have trees. And if you don't think you a place that we don't have trees, all you have to do is go on a mission trip with Dave and myself to Haiti. They don't have trees to build stuff. And this land it was abundant with trees. Many of you grew up in West Virginia, probably can go to a place where you remember uh, the railroads and the coal cars just filled to the brink with coal. Dave was talking about his grandpa would go and sit up above Bluefield and look down at all the coal that was leaving this uh, area, and it was going to power a nation. All these resources are in America. In recent years, they've discovered that there's enough oil and natural gas under North Dakota to supply our needs for 200 years. Drive across the Midwest, and you see amber waves of what? Grain. And there's enough grain there to feed almost 70% of the world's population. You know, in this land, how we look at the beauty of it, not just as this abundant, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, places like the Grand Canyon. Tanya and I got to see that last November. Wow. But you don't even have to drive all the way over there or fly all the way over there. You can just drive to the New River Gorge and look at the majesty and the beauty of this land. In America, we take so much for granted. God is so good. We're spoiled to the brim. You know, uh, did you know that 28% of the land mass of China, and China basically has the same amount of land mass as the United States of America. Did you know that? But in 28% of the mainland of China, it's a desert. And of that desert, 50% of it is uninhabitable. We have people who live in Phoenix. <laughs> it's a big desert and there's people everywhere and there's golf courses everywhere because of the way that we can irrigate and the way that we can manage our land and our resources. I think of Psalm 65 when he says this, for you care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly, the psalmist says. The streams of God are filled with the water provided the people with grain. So you ordained it. You drenched the flowers and leveled its riches. You softened its showers and blessed the crops. You crowned the year with your bounty and your crafts over and your carts overflow with abundance. He's talking about the land of Israel there. But can you imagine if God was writing about the land that we live in, America? You know, one of the things that when you bring somebody who lives in another country to America, 
You can take him to all the natural beauty and wonders of the country, but you know the thing that impresses most people that come here from another land the most? Take him to a grocery store and just see what's all in the grocery store, and their eyes and their head will be blown. Because just the fact of what we are able to access for ourselves that we take every day for granted is something that God has blessed this land with. You know, you can take people all over this world, but I tell you, the land that most people will love the most is this land that you and I got born into, we're being raised into, and we get the privilege to live into. Secondly, I love America for its founding principles. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this way, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, you know the rest of it, the laborers build in what? Vain. The nation that we live in is a built on spiritual principles. We understand that our founding fathers were not perfect men, but most of them were mainly Christian men who saw the world through a biblical lens. Their intent was not to start a theocracy here, but they wanted to build a nation on the basic biblical principles. In fact, John Adams, the second president, said this, the general principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Since today is July 4th, I want to take a few minutes to re-examine the Declaration of Independence. Now, I don't want you all to take a nap right now, all right? If you all think this is going to turn into a history lesson, I need you to slap yourself or slap your neighbor, all right, and wake their little hind ends up <laughs> because there's a lot of things that we're going to look in the Declaration of, Independence, in, in Declaration of Independence that have a lot to do based on the Bible. Here's the opening paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to one another, and assuming the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station of which the laws of nature and the natures of God entitled them, a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to make the separation. Now, number one, no one talks like that anymore. I mean, seriously, they just don't. I was uh, over uh, um, a buddy that was here, uh, Barry and Kelly, uh, a couple weeks ago. They came in with their family. But I went over, and he has a 1979 Corvette that he's had for over 20-plus years. And it's not a great running car, but it's one of the things that as he's going over to Korea uh, in a few weeks uh, for the next two years of his life, him and his wife and his kids are going with him. He, he wanted someplace to be able to store that vet. So we drove over uh, with Jeff, and he rode over with me, and we picked up his Corvette and brought it back, and I found a place to store it while he's going to be gone for the next couple of years. Uh, but one of the things Jeff said is, hey, Russ, if we have time, can we run down to Washington, D.C. and look at the monuments? I said, sure. And here, when you go to the Lincoln Memorial, you have the Gettysburg Address on one wall, and then you have the Declaration of Independence on the other wall. And there's just something pretty powerful. And we were there at night, and I tell you, that was cool. If you've never been to Washington, D.C., drive over at night because the traffic's better. <laughs> That's number one. And number two, it was cooler in the evenings, and it's all lit up, and it's just awesome. But we're going to explain what they said in that first paragraph. It was why they were declaring their independence from Great Britain. And they believed that God was enabling them to do so because they had God-given rights that were being not followed under the rule of a king. And I want to give you three 
good, sound principles in this declaration. The first one is government gets its authority from God. Did you hear what it said? It says this in the declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are liberty, a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where does that come from, according to these men when they were writing this declaration? From their creator. Now notice that the forefathers acknowledge that there is God and he is sovereign over everything. And God created every person with certain inherent rights. And the king of England had usurped these rights and their, their rights were being violated, so they were right in declaring their independence from the king. Now, of course, we know they were right. In Daniel chapter 2, it says this, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons and sets up kings and he disposes of them. Here's the second principle from the declaration. Government is accountable to the people. And it says in the declaration that to secure these rights, governments are instituted by men, deriving their powers and consistent for those who have been governed. After God comes people, and after the people comes the government. And the only by the people's consent do government officials rule. So our forefathers determined that we would not be a government ruled by kings, but by law. And that we would be a government of the, of the people, by the people, and for the people. We would elect the most capable among us. <laughs> I, was, I was studying this, I was like, yeah. All right. The most capable among us to represent us and to write and interpret the laws of the land. That was the founding father's idea. And the third principle in the declaration is that government is capable of horrendous evil, and if that government is capable of horrendous evil, it must be restrained and reprimanded. Listen to what it says in the declaration, that whatever any form of government becomes destructive to the ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or to abolish it, and to institute a new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form that they shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, in the forms of when this declaration was written, they are talking about England. But do you realize that that principle in the Declaration of Independence still applies to us today? Now, in the next few sentences, say nobody should overthrow a government lightly. And it says this, trains of abuses. It is the right, it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for the future security of a nation. You see, our founding fathers believed in the sinful nature of men and women. They saw that they had power to be able to end the corruption of King George. They believe government is not to be trusted with unlimited power, but at the same time, they acknowledge that the the danger of pure democracy, that selfish people could be ignorant and actually come in and destroy the country that they were establishing. So that's why we have representatives that we elect to go and represent the people. J. Vernon McGee said this of pure democracy. Sometimes the majority opinion just means you've got a lot of fools in one place. 
you know, we get in this idea, well, majority rules. Well, the majority is foolish. My point I'm trying to make is that when we set up this government, there were supposed to be three branches, and they were all supposed to have equal power, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative. And our forefathers must have done something right because our nation has lived for 245 years. But I believe today our nation is in such a crisis that it is calls for a sermon such as this. And it calls for a time such as this. For us to be able to look and see what, under, what is underneath all the things that we celebrate as America. And it was ultimately, and it all fingers point back to God. Now, some say and insist that the church stay out of politics. And I understand that sentiment. And I'm trying to stay out of it most of the time. But listen, John the baptizer criticized the king from the pulpit and it cost him his head. Jesus often criticized the religious leaders and challenged the Roman system, and it cost him his life. The Apostle Paul says obedience to the Roman society and the government that we live in is at the foremost for a Christian to do. But in midst of times of when the government does not follow the will of God, that we have a right as Christians to be able to say, well, wave the flag, some things are not right. And so I love America because of its abundance resources, its founding principles, and thirdly, I love America for its providential favor. I believe America is favored by God as a country. Now, some of you may disagree, and that's okay. We can have that disagreement and still be Americans. But listen to what I think the Scripture talks about the nation that I live in. It says, God promised, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. And until they take down all these monuments, and until they take down um, the Declaration of Independence, until they do all those type of things, we are still founded on those principles. And they mention our God by name. And what I'm trying to say is, did you know that immediately after signing the Declaration of Independence, George Washington was asked if he would head up the new uh, Continental Army, that he would, uh, they would fight in the Revolutionary War? Uh, Washington later confided in his military aide, Joseph Reed, that he would have never accepted that command. But he understood how undisciplined the American army was and what a ragtag bunch it was. And if he had realized that it was a, pre, that it was a perilous situation, he was in. Later he added, and this is from Washington himself, if we prevail, it's only because we've been involved in the intervention of a higher power, he says. He said, I shall most religiously believe if we prevail, the finger of providence is on us and to us, bind us and blind our enemies in front of us. You should read something about how the beginning of the Revolutionary War took. Just let me read this to you. Just several months into it, Washington had 9,000 troops trying to defend New York City. And they got trapped in Long Island because of the greatest military force in the world, the British, had 20,000 troops with all their artillery just several miles away from attack. And they were trapped by the East River. It was a mile across. And there were British warships in the harbor. And that two of those warships were about to sail up the river just a bit. And those ships had 72 cannons to completely trap and to take out the Continental Army. And the revolution would have been suppressed in a matter of a few months. It was going to be disastrous. But you can read how weather, 
changed. Now, this is not on the Weather Channel. That uh, you can read how the weather changed the hurricane force winds and a dense fog to keep the British away and to help Washington get his troops across the East River. It's in the history books. And about this miraculous event, David McCullough, a very respected modern author, wrote, incredibly, yet again, circumstances, fate, luck, and then he uses this word, providence, and the hand of God would be so often intervened for the Continental Army. Now, could you imagine a reporter writing that today? <laughs> Just to say that it was the hand of God, it, that providence, he intervened so that they could get out. How would the press handle this today? The New England Chronicle, among other, designated that Washington's maneuver was a masterpiece and a sign of providence favored upon us by God. That was the title of the headline in the newspaper. What newspaper would have that today? What story would lead any of the news stations about that? Well, that's just in the Revolutionary War. It was in the mid-1800s that America was sharply divided over slavery, like a divided over abortion today, and, and, and perhaps it was even more intense. And slavery was a terrible scar in the history of this country. We paid a terrible price for that sin. 620,000 soldiers died in the Civil War, which is more than any other conflict in our history. But slavery was not unique to America. It, we didn't invent it. It was practiced all over the world, and it could be traced back thousands of years. And while it embarrassed us by the scar, I'm proud that America was the one who led the emancipation of slavery. You know, that's what we hear about all the time is slavery is so bad and we should be responsible for it. We were the nation who led the world out of slavery. And, and though it took 75 years, slavery was outlawed so that all Americans could be free. But Michael Medvedev points out the providential hand of God was even on that. Listen to this. Abraham Lincoln, who battled depression, had failed to win multiple races to the Senate. Miraculously, he became president in 1860. His opponents couldn't believe, but as Lincoln felt a hand, on his, a, a hand and a call on God on his life, he referred to himself, listen to what Lincoln says of himself, a humble instrument in the hand of the Heavenly Father. That's what Lincoln says of himself. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation. He had been looking to sign as a form, as a fingerprint, as the signature of a God himself. God had decided the question of the favor of slaves through Abraham Lincoln. Chester Hodge of the Princeton Theological Seminary declared this, the first and most obvious consequences of the dreadful civil war just ended and the final universal overthrow of slavery within the limits of the United States. This is the one, one of the most monumental events in the history of the world that the design of God to bring about the end of slavery occurred in America. Listen, in 1944, I'm sorry you're getting a history lesson today. Y'all still with me? <laughs> in 1944, American soldiers were about to invade Normandy. The president of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, himself was a deeply religious man, offered a prayer for the nation on the radio. This is what our president said on the radio. Almighty God, our sons provide and the pride, our sons and our pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor to struggle to preserve the republic of our religion. Not religions, 
one single religion. He didn't say religions, and he goes on and says, our religion, our civilization, to set free a suffering of humanity, lead them straight and true, give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, and then he says, thy will be done, almighty God, amen. That's what the president prayed over the radio for our nation. It was wrote from the Mayflower through the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Emancipation, the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, World War II. You can say that's all coincidence, but even one of the most liberal judges of our, set on our Supreme Court, Earl Warren, said this, I believe that no one can read the history of our country without reading the good book and the spirit of the Savior having from the beginning of our birth until our present day. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that God is the one who provided all of this to make this happen in our history. Now, there's so much incivility and anger and hatred. Jesus said this long before we were a country. A house divided against itself won't. Cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And we have a political arena that is nastier than ever. And even some Christians get caught up in it. Some respected Christian leaders suggest that our current chaos is an indication that God will now be finished with our American project. Because of the last 50 years, our pride, we've turned our back on him. We've rejected him and we're trying to go about it alone. And they say that the same God who said, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord, is the same God that the wicked will be cast into hell and the nations will forget. Some say we're finished, but some say that we have hope because I believe in the God of miracles. We just sing about it. You are the way maker, the miracle worker. They, he did it for Washington and the troops to get across the East River. Why can't he do it for our culture today? And what I'm trying to say is there's a solution to the American problem. And the solution is not a political one, friends. It's not going to be solved in who you voted for or who I voted for. It's going to be solved when people get on their knees and pray for their land. We, our, our, our focus first. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, they will seek my face turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and forgive all their sins and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14. Listen, I told you the sermon was going to be unapologetic patriotic, but I believe in America. But I believe, as much as I believe in our land, I believe in a God much greater than I believe in our land. But I believe our God is the one who has upheld and provided ways for us to be blessed. We are a prosperous nation. We are a beautiful nation. We are a nation that's got scars and blemishes just like all of us do. But listen, I still believe in this land. I still believe in the principles of what we're able to do. I am so grateful. Karen said it. She lived in three months in a land where she did not have the freedom to go and worship Jesus. Had to do it in secrecy. I do not want to go to a place like that. And there's no reason that the biblical promises that we were talking about and the scriptures that we were talking about could not apply only to America, but to any nation who turned their face 
and, and sought the Lord and sought his favor. So can I ask you a question? Can we all disagree just today that we live in a pretty good place? I mean, it has its issues. After 245 years, you would have your issues. Think about that. If you were married for 245 years, I know Tanya's saying, thank God we don't live that long. All right. Thanks be to God that our life expected. What did you say, Don? No, 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 Don, Don, we were doing so good. We were doing so good, Don. You're not going to get a hot dog today. Oh, you said it to him, Pat. Oh, good for you, Pat. Good for you. But can you imagine? My point is this. I love our land. And I love that God has used our land to accomplish so many good things. Do you realize that we're the most generous nation in the world? When people need stuff or things happen, it's America who sends out stuff to help people. It is. When we need stuff, who comes? When, when, when the building collapsed in, in Miami, Israel was the only nation to come because they deal with it all the time with building collapses over there. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we don't do well. I'm not sugarcoating and wiping the slate clean for America. But at the same time, it's okay to celebrate that you're American. You don't have to listen to everybody say that we need to apologize for every single thing that we've ever done wrong. Holy cow, I've only been married coming up on, this is my 25th year of marriage. Yeah. In May, next year it'll be 25. So I kind of celebrate. You do that, like, do you guys do that? Like, you've already got 24 in, so you're on 25. You all do that with your birthday. Some of you try to go backwards. They don't work, but you all do that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm entering this 25th year of marriage, and I can tell you right now as a married man, if I had to apologize for everything I did wrong every day, we wouldn't go anywhere in 25 years. It's okay, and it's good to celebrate America. Teach your children. Because they're growing up in a culture that tells them to cancel everything they know about our history and our past. It's, we're growing up in a culture right now that tells them to be ashamed of who they are, of all the tyranny that we have oppressed. I just don't live in that country. I don't believe in those principles. And so I believe in what we read in Chronicles. Let me read that one more time, and I want you to pray with me. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Pray with me. Our God, our Father, who have helped us in ages past, you are our hope for years to come. We come to you right now because our nation is in trouble. We are ensnared by our own transgressions. Forgive us as an ungrateful hearts of our blindness to your blessings. You said that a nation divided against itself cannot stand. 
Now, Father, look at us. Would you once again come and work a miracle? A mighty wind, a strong fog, or something like what you did for Washington and the Continental Army? Will you come and heal our land if we'll humble our hearts to you? So that in the near future, Lord, that we can be excited and see your hand at work in this nation. Lord, we pray that we will be able to say with insurance, this is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Through the strong name of our Savior, Jesus, I pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Stand and worship with this song. And friends, I'd encourage you this morning as we stand and worship We're worshiping our God for our land. It's bountiful. It's beautiful. It's been blessed by him for hundreds of years. It's not time now just to turn our backs on that. We could sit around and I could have had a sermon about what's all wrong with America. And we could have went on fat for days. But aren't we those type of people? I'm that way a lot. That I don't count my blessings. I just see my problems. We need to count our blessings. We live in a great land. And we need to give God thanks for it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.